Father, you are good. You are gracious to us. You have provided us with a testimony today. We are able to read the words of Jesus as he spoke to religious people. We pray that if there's any understanding lacking in us, which there always will be, we ask for greater understanding. For some who may be very religious this morning, maybe somehow in their commitment to be diligent in spiritual matters, they missed the one who came to save, to seek and save the lost. We pray that their eyes would be open. For those who may be here today that are not trusting in Christ, maybe don't know much about Him, pray that you would help them see that He is the hope. He is their hope. He is the only hope that we have. And so we ask today, Lord, that you would validate that in our hearts, in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever been so consumed with pride that you were unable to see something that should have been very easy for you to see? Maybe you were really good at a certain thing. And so you kind of got to that point where no one could really teach you anything. Maybe you worked in an environment for a long time and become an expert in your field. And as a result, when a younger person would come up and say something about what you were doing or maybe how to do something better, you immediately like shut them down because you're so proud and think so highly of yourself. Maybe... You're one of those people that like to have a lot of people around you that are not as smart as you, so that you can always be the smartest person in the room. Maybe you don't want anybody around at all, so that you can always be the smartest person in the room. Maybe for some of us today, we grew up in church and are of a certain kind of persuasion and so we hold so dearly to certain things that we have been taught that our blinders are on to such a level that it's hard to see anything else you ever been around somebody maybe that like when they read the bible they see the same thing every time in every passage because they just they can't see very broadly or, or rightly or and maybe they've zoomed in on one particular aspect to, to, the, to, to such an extent that like really everything else is fuzzy in comparison. Sometimes an alternate voice, even though if the voice was right, would be so costly and radical and life-changing to people that they won't want to silence it altogether. That's kind of what happens. And you and I, if we're honest, you see that in your life. See that in businesses. 
You see that in churches. see that in schools. You see it all different places where it's almost like you think, how in the world could you push that aside? Like, how could you, like, walk that blindly yourself? It's like, I would rather walk in blindness than hear any voice of reason or truth. Happens all the time. Jesus this morning is going to face some people who have very deep convictions, deep beliefs, but they're wrong. And he's going to confront them, and you can imagine how difficult it would be to experience what they experience. Today, you could say, like, Jesus is going to further explain how we saw in a glimpse last week that he and the Father are one, that he truly is the Son of God. That really, you either accept him or you reject him. If you accept him, there's life. If you reject him, you're damned. And Jesus is very clear about that. The church historically has held to a position that God is triune. That we, there's one God, the one true and living God, in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're the same in essence, equal in power and glory. And so today we're going to say, we looked a little bit last week at the fact that Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. And this week you could say, but, but there's, a, there's some distinctions there. And I think it's important that we see that because it is something at the very heart of chapter 5. And there's really a shift in chapter 5. You're going to see it in chapter 6 too. But in chapter 5, it, it goes from like kind of wanting to push Jesus back or say, where's his authority or question his authority or whatever, but to, to like, we want to kill him. Like, we want to silence him forever. That voice needs to go away. I want, I want it out of here. And you're going to see that kind of progressively uh, get worse. Now, Jesus is not like trying to escape that. What we saw actually last week is he healed a man on the Sabbath and, and had him get up and take his mat and walk so that they would be... Um, I mean, I really believe this, everything orchestrated so that these religious leaders would see that. They would question the man. The man, ultimately, Jesus would tell him, I'm the one that healed you. He would go back to the religious leaders. The religious leaders would say, like, this man is causing people to break the Sabbath. And all this would kind of culminate with a little bit of a face-off. And it's just going to grow in intensity leading up to them crucifying him. Jesus is not running from that. He's doing the Father's work, and in doing the Father's work, it's orchestrating this plan that, that will cause these religious leaders to say, we want him dead. I want you to look back at 5, 16 through 18. It says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my Father is working until now, and I am working he is arguing 
that the, just like the Jewish leaders even in that day would have said, God works on the Sabbath and he doesn't break it because he owns everything and create all things. And if he stopped working, the whole world would fall apart. And now Jesus is coming in and saying, guess what? I'm working too. And what does that produce in them? Verse 18, they're not dumb. They said, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, this week, Jesus is going to further explain the relationship between the father and the son. He's not backing down. And remember, he is speaking to religious leaders. He is speaking to them and revealing himself in a very powerful way. But again, it is so absolutely shocking that they just want to get rid of it. I mean, they, they, they think he is completely, he, he, he is leading people astray. He's going to, to, people will be damned as a result of what he's doing, kind of. The way that they would think in their minds is the way he's laying out. So Jesus is going to reveal these things and we're going to have to say, the proper response would be to believe in him. And that's what John's writing to us so that we would believe the truths about him. But we're going to see that there are going to be many that reject him. And we saw that at the very early uh, stages of uh, John. Now, one last thing. I think we just need to see this morning is the root of unbelief. Because I think at the end of chapter 5, you're going to say the root of unbelief is the love of human praise. They want to silence him because they would rather experience their own glory. They would rather glorify themselves and one another than the true Messiah. All right, so let's get started here. We'll see Jesus' relationship to the Father. You'll notice here in verses 19 through 21, he does nothing on his own accord, only what the Father, only what he sees the Father doing. It's saying that Jesus understands exactly what the Father is doing. He is able to see and understand that he too is God. That's what he's saying. And he and the Father that are one, he is seeing what is taking place. And he does whatever the Father uh, has him do, really. As he sees the Father doing, he models him or follows him. And, and, and you notice here it says the Father loves the Son. He shows him all the things that he is doing, reveals those things. And, and so the son is just, is this picture of the son being completely obedient to the father. They can be equal in power and glory and still have distinct roles. And I think that's what you see here. That the father is, is, is guiding the son. And the son is responding to his guidance. Uh, it, and I think that's very important. Uh, one author said the father initiates sins, commands, commissions, grants. The son responds, obeys, performs the father's will, receives authority. All of that is kind of, you see this perfect sonship on display. He's doing the will of the father, father in perfect uh, picture of what really what we were to do. Jesus is doing that in, perfectly. Now. How's the son able to do this? And I think that's what you see. The father loves the son and he's revealing all these things to him. And when you see the son, you see exactly what the father would be doing. It's a perfect representation 
of his nature on display. God in human flesh has come and dwelt among us and we see him. Now, you'll notice here it says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Just that idea of life, you'll see Jesus raise Lazarus. We'll see in the scriptures where the Father and the Son are attributed with raising Jesus from the dead. At the very end, they'll speak and, and Jesus will call forth all to come up from the graves, all that uh, from the grave, all of that taking place. Not only that, I think we even see even in the context of John where spiritual life in the present, even not just physical bodies, but actually people spiritually being brought to life as a result of the working of the Father and the Son. So this life comes forth. Verse 22 and 23. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Now, I want you to turn back to John three seventeen real quick. It says there, it says, For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So you kind of say, well, hold on just a second. He's judged, like you're saying he's judged. And at the same time here, we're saying that um, like he didn't send the son into the world to condemn the world. How do you reconcile that? Uh, one author says, John 3.17 refers to the purpose of the son's coming. It was not to bring condemnation. But by contrast, John 5.22 refers to the distinctive roles of the father and the son. The father entrusts all judgment to the son... That leaves room for the purpose of the Son's coming to be primarily about salvation, even though all must face Him as their judge. And even though the inevitable result of His coming is that some will be condemned. So Jesus has come, offered Himself to, for those for people to be saved so that they come to Him and experience salvation. But those who reject Him ultimately will meet Him as King and judge and Lord of the universe one day. So it's important, I think, to see both aspects there of the Son. Now, the other thing is, and you're going to see this, and it's kind of, I think it's important, uh, they may, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor, notice what it says, the Son does not honor the Father. There's this relationship here where you say, like, you can't separate the two. And I've told you this over and over, but I've had so many people... Uh, like I said, in the last couple of years where it's almost like they want a relationship with God apart from Jesus. I've had, met with a number of people that way. They, they'll say they, they pray to God and all that, you know. But I'm like, you, you, you understand, like, you cannot say, oh, I have this relationship with God the Father and somehow, like, miss the Son. You, you, you have to embrace both the Father and the Son to truly know the true and living God is to know Him completely, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the reality is, is that even, G, I mean, it's really powerful, but in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, what we find out is that Jesus has bestowed this great name as Lord of the universe, and, and every tongue will honor Him to the glory of the Father. So that as they work in unison and harmony, like glory comes to both. So I, I think it's important for you to stop and say, okay, hold on just a second. Then Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is Savior and Lord. Now, the big question kind of, is He your Savior and Lord? 
mean, it's a very personal thing and a very important thing to ask. Like, where do I stand here before him? If I were to face him now, like, what would that be like? Do I truly, genuinely know him? He is the only hope that I have. He is presented as that here. And we must kind of think through that and understand that. Now, verse 24, you keep moving. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes uh, him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Who hears and believes. It's at the heart of the gospel You hear the word and you believe equals eternal life. Now, some people say, "Uh -uh, wait, hold on. Just now over and over in John, that's a recurring thing. We've said this over and over a hundred plus times. The word believe is there over and over. The kind of the question is, and that really the purpose and heart of John is to, to hear these truth claims and, and then ask the question, will you respond rightly? Those who do believe have eternal life. He's passed from death to life. I want you to go back one more time to John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In this text, we see the relationship between God causing us to be born again and believing. I think in John's gospel, we see the spirit does a work. And like in John three, in our hearts, and we hear the words of Jesus, which results in saving faith, word and spirit. So that the spirit opens our hearts as the word comes to us. These things working together, bring someone to saving faith, someone to experience eternal life. That's what we see, I think, throughout the the Bible. It's always been that way, that God does this work in our hearts and He brings us, calls us to Himself. And we believe. Now, verse 25 and 26. And I think it's important to kind of to see this, but in verse 25 and 26, we're talking about, I think, what a lot of people call the already part. Of the kingdom, kind of. Like, right now. He says, an hour is coming and now is here where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, what's, what is that all about? It is, I think, in the present, even now, those who are dead in their sins. There, there are those who will hear and believe. They, they will understand. They, they, they will hear the voice of the Son of God and they will understand the gospel and they will believe it. They, they, they will be granted life. Now, I want you to, again, we're just kind of moving around a little bit, but I want you to turn to John 10. I just want you to see that in John 10, verse 4. And in verse 16. John 10, 4 says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. That's one of the critical things. It's like the voice of God. And sometimes people want to talk about Jesus and all that. And, and, and they'll talk about like, um, 
uh, well, I just want to see the hands of Jesus out here working. Or I want to see this part of Jesus. But, but the reality is, is one of the things that kind of keeps coming up is the words of Jesus. The, the power of that word. If you don't believe the testimony of Jesus, what is spoken. There were a lot of people, uh, at the, I mean, really, I guess the crux of it is, do you believe what is said about him? What he's saying about himself? He goes on, he says, and I think that in John 10, 4, we see, they, for they know uh, his voice. They can hear it. They, they understand it. Like, there are a lot of people hearing Jesus' voice, but not really hearing it. In 10.16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. They will follow. They will hear. They will understand. They will receive. That's where life is found. He calls the dead to life by his powerful word. And again, as we saw in John 3, the spirit blows in and and makes that word active. Takes dead spiritual ears and brings them to where they can hear and understand and receive and believe these things. So Jesus is laying this out for us. And I think it's very important that you see it. He's kind of, again, laying out for us that relationship between the Father and the Son. And what you're seeing as as this is unpacked is that, that, that you have to be rightly related to them. Rightly responding to them. That's where life is found. To reject them is to reject life. To accept them is to receive life. To experience life. Now... Not only does Jesus speak of what's going on in the present, but also what will happen in the future. Verse 27 through 29. The Father has given the Son this ability to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. That's going to point us to something in Daniel chapter 7 that you've studied before with us. Uh, it, it, It speaks of the Son of Man being entrusted with absolute dominion and authority over all and that's in Daniel 7 13 and 14 and what happens is he's given this authority and he reigns over everything that means he's the judge over it all he keeps it he watches over it and he like sets it up and so the son of man has been given this authority over all and and I think it's just important that you notice that it's because he is the son of man. Verse 28, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out and those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So it's, there's coming a time. This picture here is that nobody stays in the grave. All are resurrected. Believe, I believe that, the, that what's going on here is believing and unbelieving all resurrected and will come before him as the judge of the universe. That's where it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord and then he will separate them. And, and, and I think it's just important. And I think it's very powerful. Uh, I read something this week that I thought was helpful in this regard. Throughout this section, Jesus revelatory role has been emphasized primarily under the title son of God. But he who is the son 
is also the Son of Man. His authority to judge becomes all the more understandable if it is based not only on his, uh, his end-time identity as the Son of Man who reigns over all and his oneness with the human race, but also on the revelation he has so graciously imparted and which has so often been ignored and rejected. He, he's presenting him here as this one who's both the Son of God now and the Son of Man. And he is revealing himself. It, it, it's interesting too. It's like the picture here. If, if he is able to generate life through his word. He is also able to call forth the dead in the future. Is kind of the picture here. And you see this on display. It's a very powerful picture. Now those who have done good. Or you could say better good things. Or those who have come to the light. So that may be plainly seen that they have done, uh, what they've done is, is done through God, you could say. The, the issue here is that they, instead of loving their deeds of darkness, they come to the light in repentance and faith. I, I think that's the picture here. And those who have done evil, that is, they've loved the darkness, held on to the darkness, they've held on to their rebellion, they've held on to life as they, uh, whatever they wanted. And I think that's what you see here among these, these religious leaders. They're going to embrace the darkness. They're going to embrace their deeds. They're going to embrace the life that they've had. And they're going to reject the light. They're going to turn away from the light because they love their darkness. They're really religious people. In a lot of people's eyes in that day, really good people. They are rejecting the light. Now, Here's the deal, and I think it's just important as we move through this, uh, and I'm going to try to move fairly quickly here, but we are going to see a series of witnesses. So Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders, and then he's going to like, in a way, he's going to bring up to them all of these witnesses that prove. It's almost like he's going to put them on the stand and say, I want to prove to you that I am the Son of God, the Messiah, and give you every chance to believe. Every chance. Verse 30 through 32. I can do uh, nothing on my own as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. I think he's talking about the father bearing witness about him. The father is... Is, is guiding him and leading him and speaking through him. He's bearing witness even that he will do so in chapter 12. And some people say this might even point to a time where he, he, the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But it also is like over and over the father is working through the son. And he's saying, like, and there's times where Jesus will say, like, why would, would Satan come against himself? Like, if, if, if Satan is being overthrown, who must be overthrowing him? It's kind of the picture. It's God witnessing through the Son in a very powerful way. But then he brings up like this human example. And he starts in verse 33 through 35. And he speaks of the witness of John the Baptist. And he said this testimony was received by this man. He's not the light, but he is a lamp. The light is, is shining through him because he's... He's presenting that to you. And for a while, everybody's excited about John the Baptist. All that he's saying, they're, 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 wanting to, they're, they're almost acting like they're believing him. 
But eventually, um, they're not they're not going to most of them will not accept the witness of John the Baptist. But that was a physical breathing like actual person before them. And then Jesus goes on and says, but my witness is greater than that. My witness is greater. You see the father's works. You see the, the really you could say the, the witness of the works here. They're on display. And that's an emphasis that the gospel writers make a lot. When you see what he is doing, people begin to marvel at it. They can't believe these are the where, where do these kind of things come from. This is not of man. There's no man can't do these things. These things are astonishing. These works that he's doing, they're bearing witness about me that the Father has sent me. They're not only like, like proving like some of the things that went on in the prophets where they would say, hey, look, look what's happening here. Remember the prophets said this would happen and it's happening. It's not just that. It's just that over and over we see that only God could do the things that were being done here. These wor- works kind of are presented not only as some of you know things like Jesus ministry including these signs but ultimately even like the redemption that he accomplishes with the cross and the exaltation of the son of god should be a witness to them verse 37 and 38 there's this discussion about the witness of the father now it's kind of interesting here you might make some notes it might help you it might be that he is tying this to some Old Testament characters because Moses heard the voice of God. And you could say Jacob saw his form and Joshua hid his word in his heart. And Jesus speaks the word of God and they reject him. So they're not true followers of Moses. And Jesus is the manifestation of God and they reject him, the incarnate one, And so they're not true Israelites. Or you could say Jesus is the very word of God and they have no time for him. They don't experience the blessings of Joshua. All those things that I think are very important for us to kind of think about. That these religious leaders are claiming to be trusting in God. And the one who is God is before them and they will not accept it. There's like witness after witness. So it's almost like Jesus has been laying out for us. He, he shows us who he is and what he's come to do and how he's doing the father's work. And all that's on display. And then he says, well, let, me, let me drop some witnesses for you. And, and don't you see? Don't you see this? Don't you understand this? All along knowing they're going to reject him. And they're really, I mean, you can imagine the hatred in their hearts. It is growing. They want him dead. They can't stand to just hear it. Now, then, oh my goodness, he pulls up their boy. That's kind of what it's like. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, he's going to rear back, and this time it's going to be like, this is kind of like shocking. Like, what? You're bringing up Moses? Like, he's. I mean, that's what we talk about. That's what we study every day. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I mean. These guys are seeing this on display in very powerful ways and they're blinded to it, they think that they really have the scriptures down. They, you know, sometimes you'll meet somebody and you think, 
And I've had people say this to me a lot, and they'll be like, they know more Bible than anybody I've ever been around. Man, they can just quote Scripture like crazy. And you're like, but they're not orthodox. They've rejected the teaching that was once for all delivered to the saints. Historically, I mean, proven people after like ages upon ages of, of the church holding on these foundational truths. And these people are quoting the scriptures and they, they, they miss it. That happens. And, and I think it's important to see this because these people are diligent studiers of scripture, vigorous in their study. But they miss the whole point. The purpose of it. If you read the Old Testament and you thought in them you would experience eternal life. I just want you to think about this for a minute. If someone were to say to you, you say, I'm, maybe I'm religious, maybe I'm irreligious here, I don't know. Let's say you just came here this morning, first time you've ever been in church, and someone were to say to you, how do you think you get to God? You might say, well, by being a good person. You might fit very well in this camp. Because these guys are looking at all these things and they're looking at it and they're rigorously like, maybe you could say, obeying the law of God. And they think in in, in doing all this activity, they're going to reach Him. And this is what it's saying. You've missed the point. The whole of the Old Testament said this one thing. Man fails. Man is a failure. Man has no hope in him of himself. He will never reach God by his own effort. It's insanity to think so. And and, and to prove that, God even chose a special people out of all the peoples of the earth and delivered to them his law. And do you know what you saw in them? One big failure. And these guys, they read the scriptures and read the scriptures and read the scriptures. And they think they'll be accepted by God. And yet they will be damned because they missed the whole point. God has to save a people for himself. They will never, ever ever be able to live up to the righteous standard of God. Someone will have to come in their place and live up to the standard and then die for them in order for them to be acceptable. Jesus goes on to say, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Jesus is basically saying, I don't really... I don't really, I'm not looking for you to praise me. My point in coming before you, speaking to you, is not so you'll say, oh, look how great I am. There is only one that I care about to give. I really want to glorify the Father. What you think of me is not most important to me, but I know this thing. When I look at you and examine you and know your heart, you do not have the love of God in your heart. Why? Because if you had the love of God in your heart, you would love the Son. You would trust in me. You would hope in me. If, that, if you had been born of God, you would love the one who made it possible for you to be in right relationship with me and with the Father. 
Verse 43, I've come in my father's name and you did not receive me. If, any, if another comes in my own name, you will receive him. Here's the thing. And this happens, man. God, this is such a struggle because you will you'll meet somebody. And, and it's almost like they all of us do this. We look for a Jesus that may or may not be the Jesus of the Bible. We want a Savior. But we want a Savior that kind of matches up with the kind of Savior we want. So, so here's the thing. A worldly-minded people like these men were, who really wanted glory for themselves, they were looking for a Savior that would say what they wanted Him to say. And would speak what they wanted Him to speak. And that would come in and say, y'all are doing everything right. So, so, so since y'all are doing everything right, I'm coming to kind of lead you guys to victory. And Jesus shows up and says, you've got it all wrong. You've missed it. You did not receive me, but you will receive others. Verse 44, how can you believe when you're, you, you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? What happens is, is really, I think that's what they want. They want some way to s- somehow glorify themselves, honor themselves Instead of honoring Christ. Now, do not think I will not accuse you to the Father. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. And again, he pulls it back up and says, Moses is accusing you. They professed an undying commitment to Moses. And he comes to them and says, You missed it. Moses would be condemning you. Moses is standing with me. Moses was used to speak the law that drilled a bullet into the heart of man and revealed to him, you are an utter failure. You cannot live up to the holy standards of God. I, Moses even showed that by building by under the inspiration of the Spirit, building a whole sacrificial system that said, when you really botch it up, you make these sacrifices. And guess what? Blood was being spilled day after day and week after week. Because of what? Why? Because there was no hope in humanity. And humanity had to have a substitute. And so now Jesus says, He is standing with me. You do not, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It's almost like he's saying the law, the prophets, the wisdom writings, even everything. I would, I would say the whole of the Old Testament witness is that way. Certainly here, he's focusing on the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the whole of the writings are pointing to that reality. And if you will not accept their words, how will you accept mine? So today, what, what are we dealing with? I think we see Jesus as the eternal Son of God who became man. He, he reveals that in a very powerful way, his relationship, the relationship with the Father and the Son. And before these religious leaders, he says, I am the hope. I am the hope. And then he brings up witnesses and says, they all prove it, that I'm the hope. And these people reject him. 
And I guess today what you would do is say, I, I, I think for us, we have to stop and consider, are there times in our lives where we are kind of like misunderstanding these truths of the gospel on a daily basis in our lives, like even with our children or even in our own lives, are we misunderstanding that? Are we kind of like when we fail, how do we respond? Or when we're doing well, how are we responding? Are we growing in our love of the Savior? Or are we like these religious leaders kind of like um, trying to save ourselves a lot? Also, I think probably for us today, it might be helpful for us to just point people to the fact that, listen, at the end of the day, all glory, all glory belongs to the Son. We should be honoring Him. And, and really, we should be, as we talk to people about the Bible, saying the whole Bible speaks of this. That there is this holy God, that man is sinful, and that Christ is our Savior, and we must respond in repentance and faith to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would help us see more clearly what you have for us in it. May we be people that, that, that understand that the whole of the Scripture, the whole of the story found in it is pointing us to Jesus as our only hope. He is the eternal Son of God who perfectly did the will of God in His life, in His death, in His burial, in His resurrection. That He will not, not He's not only the Savior for all who will believe, but He is also the judge. And one day He will return. And we pray that we as Your people would help others understand those truths and ourselves. In Christ's name, Amen.